0: up everybody welcome to draft chaff my name is zach i'm one of your hosts and joining me as per usual
1: ben fisher how's it going dude going pretty well we've got a nice uh, episode 101 so today we're going to teach you how to make an episode uh, so what's first on the episode 101 thing
0: well we have our usual housekeeping if you're not already in the discord jump into the discord and check that out That is the best place to go to kind of be in contact with us as well as the rest of the Chaficionado community. We've got some cool channels over there for things like your trophy decks, picks, and what order to be taking different things. We also chat about a bunch of random nonsense as well. So check that out. The link to that is on our Twitter page as well as in the episode description. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. Huge thanks to all of you who are continuing to support us each and every week. Perks over there include things like our Draft Doctor series, which we need to revamp and bring back. It's been out of commission for a little bit, but more on that at some point in the near future. We've got stickers, show notes, unedited recordings of the show, as well as our DraftChaff Hero Cards sent right to your door. So check out the Patreon if you're interested in any of those things. Again, you can see that at patreon.com forward slash DraftChaffPod. A couple of reminders relating to the Patreon. We do have our monthly office hours now for all patrons. So you can check that out on there as well. We do that in the Discord community and we typically walk through various things like draft picks. Um, we try to time them around at special events. Uh, last time we, we talked about the arena open quite a bit. And so those are also things
1: to kind of check out if you're interested in being a patron. Yeah, that does make sense to start with that, doesn't it? Uh, I feel like next uh, in, in like the structure of an episode, we probably do something like immediately magic related to kind of center the focus of the show. Maybe like a like a crack a draft type thing. I actually have a pretty good one this week. Uh, this is a pack two. Kick 2. And my first pack went uh, honestly pretty well. Uh, the stars of the show were two Illuminator Virtuosos that I picked up. Just having two means that you're going to look out for some good pump spells. That's the 1-1 one, one double strike, and when it becomes the target of a spell or ability you control, no, actually just spell, right? When it becomes the target of a spell you control, you connive. Uh, I've also got a backup agent, or a fiends Informant, so a really nice suite of white 2-drops, just what I would like to have in this format. Uh, I've got a Make Disappear, a Metamorphosis, to, to, of course, have the wombo combo with the, uh, the virtuosos. Uh, I have a rooftop nuisance, two celebrity fencers and out of the way. And that's kind of it. Some junk. Uh, I do have a civil servant if I wanted to dip into green. So here in pack two, honestly, I'm pretty sure I took the out of the way uh, pack pack uh, pack two pick one. Doesn't matter too much here in pack two pick two. Uh, we have a very interesting debate uh, which thing we're going to take here. So there's a few cards that could pair pretty well with my kind of blue-white, tempo-y, almost combo-y, virtuoso self-targeting shell. We've got a Halo Fountain. Now I will admit, this is the first time i had the opportunity to take a Halo Fountain at all. This is the White Mythic, it lets you do some untapping shenanigans and make some tokens, draw some cards, and potentially, potentially win the game. Although I will say, the first two modes are pretty good for winning the game as is. Also in this pack is another Illuminator Virtuoso. Just between these two, Zach, what are you thinking?
0: So I, like you, have not gotten a chance to play the Halo Fountain, so I think I'd just take that off of the back of wanting to play it. I mean, we do this pretty often, and you and I talk about it quite a bit, where we just like to take rares and mythics that we haven't gotten to play with. So I might want to do that here. Plus, I mean, I'd love to live the dream of winning the game with this thing, but Blue-white isn't usually the deck that I think is gonna make it there. It kind of fits better into like a cab ready sort of thing that's making a bunch of tokens, but you also have two virtuoses already. So taking the third kind of just pushes you into building around them even more. And I kind of think from a just deck cohesive vector perspective that the virtuoso is gonna do a lot more for you in this deck than the, the Halo Fountain
1: will. Yeah. Uh, some other options here. There's a security bypass which pairs really well with my two existing Illuminator Virtuosos. Just that targets it with a spell, first of all, so you get to connive, and then you've got a 2-2 double strike that is just going to grow itself and be unblockable if that's the only thing you're attacking with. That kills your opponent in like two turns. Also, uh, a note about Security Bypass, it connives when it deals damage to a player. Uh, that counts first strike damage. I actually had a game where I did pull this off, um, and I had my opponent at 9, my Illuminator Virtuoso was a 4-4, so I made sure to not play out my one non-land card from my hand before combat. So I could go to combat, hit for four first strike damage, then connive, discard my non-land, and hit for 5 regular damage. Just really fun plays. So obviously a great combo with my two existing Virtuosos. Also in this pack is Rafine's Guidance. Same thing, you know, but way less. This isn't exactly what you want to use to target it, but it's an option. And a Broker's Hideout. Everything else in this pack is not exactly what I'm looking for. There's a Murder, there's a uh, Rocks Pummeler, Tramway Station, Wrecking Crew, which I do like if you are trying to, to play a red deck. Wrecking Crew and the green one, I think Sawjack, High Rise Sawjack. Those two uh, the reach creatures end up being pretty important to beat a deck like this. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm probably on the Bypass, the Virtuoso, or the ha- Halo Fountain.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I would just take the Virtuoso here because the bypass is something you're likely to be passed later on uh, if any others are opened or maybe even wield this one. It's not a card that I've seen take incredibly highly and triple Virtuoso is just like guaranteeing you draw one pretty
1: much every game, so. So I did take the Halo Fountain here. In hindsight, I would have rather had the uh, <laughs> the other virtuoso. So funny enough, in this draft, I did end up picking up a third virtuoso anyway. But I could have had a four virtuoso deck. And through the rest of the draft, I picked up another metamorphosis, a few copies of revelation of power, uh, which are both just bonkers with uh, with the limited virtuoso. This can easily get in for ten, sometimes twelve or fourteen in the air uh, on turn like four or five, <laughs> and sometimes that's all you need. Halo Fountain is a fun card. I I did get to mostly make tokens with it, and honestly, untapping your creatures in a very racing-based format like this is kind of relevant. However, a lot of the races take place in the air with things that aren't exactly set up super well to block one another. Or or if you do set yourself up to block, you occasionally set yourself up accidentally for a a combat trick or, or blowout otherwise. I did enjoy playing with the Halo Fountain. I did not nearly find enough white mana to win the game off of it ever. But um, it was a good value card. Honestly, in hindsight, though, probably should have taken the other Virtuoso.
0: Yeah, four Virtuoso decks sounds incredible.
1: Oh, it was it was virtuous indeed.
0: All right, on to our Teferi And this is our Roses and Thorn style segment where we share a high and a low from the past week. So, Ben, why don't you kick us off with your Teferi Tybalt?
1: Oh, kind of like a Roses and Thorns* segment. This is a good episode. man. I, I, I got to write this down. I feel like I'm learning a lot about episodes <laughs> and about how long bits should last before you should kill them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my Tybalt this week, I've been having some computer issues. My trusty keyboard that I've had for a long time. It's a nice Logitech. My M key and my C key are both starting to go on me. And you may notice, I think I corrected them all but in our doc for our our episode this week. At one point, there were a lot of missing M's and C's and a lot of double M's and C's. So I don't know if it just needs a good clean. Uh, I mean, I just cleaned my whole keyboard a few months ago, but I don't know, it it might be time to replace some springs or or double check if anything got under there. That, my my GPU is like dying. (laughs) I was recommended the game Outer Wilds. If anyone has played that, let me know. Have you?
0: I haven't played it myself, but I've seen good things
1: and heard good things. Yeah, gotten a lot of good recommendations for it. I've been told it was kind of made for me and that it's exploration and space based. You've already got me. You've already got me hooked. And I listened to some of the soundtrack too. beautiful, like kind of woodsy guitar folksy music that I find pairs really interestingly with with that kind of space theme. So anyway, I try to boot it up. I try to launch it and I go two minutes and I get a green screen and then my PC shuts down and did a little investigating yeah my graphics card it's it's been out of date for a while i think now that the crypto market has crashed and there's a lot more uh, gpus on the market they're easy to find i think it's time for me to to go in and grab that thing while, while the, the is good
0: yeah let me know if you need any help finding a good one or anything
1: i probably will uh, i'm looking at a 3060 ti right now those seem moderately available and i, I don't really feel like paying the extra hundred dollars for for the 70 or 80 like that's Probably a 60Ti is good enough for me. I, I did hear comparisons that said that the 60Ti was better than the 70, but I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about this later. My tip, uh, my teferi this week is that it is Memorial Day here in the United States, so uh, we get a nice long weekend. Anyway, So my school, for some reason, they decided to add in two extra snow days that we hadn't used to Memorial Day weekend instead of to the end of the school year. So rather than getting done sooner, which would be nice, I just get a slightly longer weekend this weekend. It's like five and a half days, so... By the time this episode comes out, I will have been relaxing a lot and hopefully posting uh, a lot of good arena results to to match that.
0: All right. So for my Teferi, uh, I will echo Memorial Day weekend. It's nice to get a day off. And I've been in the middle of a very long couple of weeks for work. So it's nice to get the extra day off. Probably going to do a barbecue slash picnic kind of thing with some friends. So always a good time. Uh, my tibble is that I've got a lot going on in my head. I've got a lot of stuff that I'm thinking about lately, and uh, sometimes that's awesome, and sometimes it's just bothersome. <laughs> not for anything yeah. like not for any negative reasons. Just that when you have a lot going on, it's hard to keep track of it all, and then you you just kind of get overwhelmed. So a little yeah. bit of that going on lately, and in a weird way, I have summer as a tibble because it's the time of year where like I want to be doing more, but I'm also stuck inside most of the day doing work for work Mm. and then like it's really hot and stuff they're just it's just like a lot i guess i don't really know i usually love summer but right now it's just not feeling it and today's really nice actually like the weather's really good it's not actually that hot but some of these recent days have been a bit of a mess
1: yeah sometimes it's too much at once especially here in the jersey area it feels like we just, you know, skip that whole spring thing.
0: All right. On to our listener question of the week. And this week, our question comes from Ben. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do listen to the show. I'm allowed to. I actually want to ask the audience and we, we kind of did start this last week, but I want to know what your favorite card of all time is. Listener. That's right. I'm asking a question to you. We answered this one last week and we got some good responses, but uh, we want to hear your your, your thoughts. And also a reminder to toss any listener questions you might have in the mailbag, uh, because in in just a few weeks we have a pretty big uh, pretty big day coming up. We've got our second anniversary mailbag, so if you have any good thoughts, questions, you, honestly, we take some feedback. We might even we might even take some complaints if, if we're feeling it. Uh, any anything you want to say to us, um, just toss it in the mailbag, and we will react or, or uh, I don't know ban you or whatever appropriate <laughs> response ends up being.
0: Yeah. To be fair, we are doing our best to avoid reading any of those questions ahead of time. So yeah, yeah. we don't really know what you're asking at the moment. We just know that there are questions in there.
1: <laughs> I, I have I've gotten a glimpse of a few and I've also tried to save my, my eyes. So I see them the first time on like right before we start recording. So I've, I've got that shock and awe. But um, yeah, in this case, you know, just add some more in. <laughs> All right. On to our main
0: topic this week. We are covering our draft chaff hero for the streets of New Capenna. And I mean, I don't think we need to go through any particular ceremony here.
1: The cat's been out of the bag for a little while. That's right. It is a two and a white card. It has one toughness, it has two words in the name. It's a creature, it's a common. It is Gathering Throng. I'm kidding. It's Inspiring Overseer. <laughs> yeah, it's Inspiring Overseer. Although I was pretty happy to see the Gathering Throng wasn't that far behind it on the common leaderboard. Um, all things considered, I'm not entirely sure if there's some sort of bias in 17 lands data given Gathering Throng and how it puts a bunch of copies of itself into hands. I mean, we know it's a pretty solid card just from its win rate, but I don't know if there's a little bit of I don't know. I'm not a statistician. I'm going to need someone to jump in on this one. Uh, Anyway, Inspiring Overseer. We all know it. We all love it. This is two and a white for a 2-1 with flying. It is an angel cleric at common, a creature, of course. And in some formats, you could just stop right there and you'd have a pretty good card on your hands. That's true. Uh, But I don't know. I don't want to do the whole power creep good old days-isms, but I feel like back when I started playing, maybe there were just more core sets then when something like a Windrake, like a 3 mana 2-2 two, two flyer was just seen as like a good base for a skies deck. Like if you had that and a bunch of frost lynxes and maybe some some shocks, your deck would be pretty solid. Well, anyway, when it enters the battlefield, you gain one life. Okay, let's just let's break that down a little bit. I, I found this to be more relevant than you might think. Instead of life gain in a format that often ends with swings and races can be really strong. I mean, think back to Midnight Hunt, when people were debating whether Lunark Veteran was good, and then everyone realized, oh wait, this is insanely good. Uh, a buffer of like five to six life can be solid. Now, you're not playing five to six inspiring overseers, but with those fetches and maybe with one or two overseers, you might wind up with like a two to four life buffer, and that can matter in this format. I often find my myself being a little bit annoyed when my opponent plays one of the fa- family fetches at the wrong time, uh, because then if it, that takes them from eight to nine, and I had like a four four, and the one one that I was gonna jump as a four four flyer or something like that, uh, it ends up mattering. Each turn that the game proceeds to go on, someone is more and more likely to die. It scales up really quickly in this set I found. Anyway, there's not a lot of life gain overall in this format. So when you get it, it tends to be pretty strong, especially in in a pretty racing format like this as I found it to be. I mean, that's not always true. Sometimes you get these kind of control matchups or people top deck, but an awful lot of games end with big swings back and forth. And then the line of text that we've all been waiting for. Draw a card. Huh? <laughs> it doesn't get any less absurd. The last time we saw an effect like this was in Adventures of Forgotten Realms with uh, Priest of Ancient Lore, which was this without flying, right? Yeah. And that was just one of the best cards in white. Flying just makes this so much better. Now, there are some minor synergies to discuss based on just the raw stats of the card alone. There's some little card draw effects and maybe even some angel effects. Uh, the fact that this is an ETB trigger means you can do some things with it. If you happen to have a limousine, you could tuck this and then get it back for just absurd amounts of value. But honestly, just the card draw itself is is valuable in this format. Having a spare card in hand gives you more stuff to connive to uh, or helps you restock after one of these strong uh, like white two drop type curve outs. Um, and to be honest, if I have an inspiring overseer in my deck, it's often the card I want to see most off the top.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Overseer just does so many things in such a small package that it's not surprising. And we're going to get into some of the data on it. But it's, in fact, it's not surprising to never see these because nobody's passing <laughs> yeah. them. Like especially in a set that supports three, four, even five colors, everybody scoops these up pretty much whenever they can because there is just so much value here. I mean you, you pair this with something like Legrella. Now suddenly you've got a four three flyer that gains you life Jeez. and draws you two cards. Yeah, I mean it, it just gets pretty absurd and and again, the flyers in this format are rather exceptional on them on their own like it's just not easy to deal with flyers in general in this format. So the, the flying in this in this set in particular does a little bit more, I think, than it would in most other sets.
1: Just good evasion. I don't want to discount the little fish tokens. They often act like functionally flyers and sometimes even better. This is kind of an overview of this card. Everyone knew this is dumb from the start. We weren't the only ones saying it, although we did say it. And we pretty much got exactly what we expected. It did live up to the hype. And now I think it even kind of overlives the hype. It went from like a very high pick... One that you would like certainly consider taking first, uh, but might, you might take like a rare over it to the point where now if you have like, uh, I don't know, most Maestro's rares, besides maybe the Diabolist or the the Wrath, uh, a lot of the rares in, in most of the color combos versus an Overseer, you're just supposed to take the Overseer. The fact that it's one color is a, a great boon in this format, where it turns out a lot of the two color aggro decks just be end up being more consistent and, and better performing overall. Uh, and then, you know, e- even now, like if you see an overseer, you should probably take a look at what you've got <laughs> and and say, all right, well, is this third color? Because uh, maybe I should consider changing my base colors. If I see one of these get past me, like fourth pick, I'm never passing it. I- I've c- I've come very close to splashing this thing.
0: <laughs> it's really good. And I, I think that's you mentioned a, a pretty pretty much a sweet spot there, like pack f- uh, pick four rather. Like when you get past one of these around pick three, pick four, that's a huge sign. I mean, if nobody to your right was interested in this, or at least the three people to your right weren't interested in this card, white's open. Like, I I think this is a strong enough card that just seeing this on its own, you can make that assumption that that color is open because there really aren't very many outside of rares and maybe a handful. Like, are you taking a virtuoso over this? Probably not. Yeah, like, yeah, you're just not doing it. So if you see one of these pass, basically pick one or two, like, white's open.
1: Even against some of the good brokers rares, like the one I just mentioned, the Mysterious Limousine. If you're in brokers and you have, like, maybe it's pack, pack three, pick one. And you open like a limousine and an overseer and you look at your curve and you already have maybe like two spars adjudicators like you're not worried about your top end. And maybe you're even thinking about playing 16 lands because you have a bunch of informants to connive things away. Uh, honestly, you might still just be supposed to take the overseer. Uh, it's it's just lower. It draws you into the gas. That you need to to play out your later stuff. Uh, it fits the vector just disgustingly well of Brokers, but more specifically of Blue-White Skies. Well, that's just, that's another
0: thing there, right? Like it's, it fits into the best deck in the format in Brokers, nicely, uh, more than nicely even. I mean, it just slots in perfectly there. Where shield counters very well, you know, all those things. But then it also fits in the Blue-White Skies deck, but then it also fits in the cabaretti deck, but then it also fits in basically any deck that can put white mana into use. Mm. And when you look at it that way, there are very little, very few reasons not to take this when you see it, regardless of what colors you're in, almost. Like, like even if you're in, like, a Maestro's deck, and you're past one of these, like like you mentioned, you're considering splashing this.
1: Like, it at least crosses your mind. We're just swapping colors entirely, because who passes this? Like, right. I've been saying that I don't know how my opponents keep having, like, two of these every time I play against them. Who's passing them these? You know, like who, who's not just slamming every copy they see? I'm certainly slamming every copy I see. I, I'm i not passing one of these until the end of the format. It would take a really cruel stipulation draft to get me to pass an overseer. Like this is this is rough. But like, nah, uh, no, I'm still taking an Elspeth. Who am I kidding? I can't pass her. But uh, it's, I think it's, that's probably in some scenarios yeah. <laughs> in some scenarios. Maybe if you're like really short on three drops and. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm sure you could engineer a scenario. In general, I found a pretty strong personal correlation between how many overseers I have in my deck and how well that deck does. If I have one, nice. If I have two or more somehow, then, you know, that deck is just stupid.
0: Yeah. And I mean, there's a big difference between decks that have one and decks that have none. I, I don't know exactly mm-hmm. what the diminishing returns are on more than one copies, but the the value of having at least one of them in your deck is is massive.
1: I feel like it's probably accumulating returns on having. Yeah, more it probably than one is. I mean, I I, I
0: mean, know firsthand. I've been able to chain three of them together in a row, and and it 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 is every bit as good as it sounds.
1: <laughs> you are one of the lucky few in the format. I, I certainly haven't had a deck with three of these. If we take a look at some of the seventeen lands data, if we sort by games in hand win rate, which you know that's a pretty reliable measure of what's going on with the card, of how how solid the card is. Uh, it's up there. <laughs> I mean, it is currently, according to this, the ninth highest games in hand win rate card in the set. That's not of commons. That's not of commons and uncommons. That's of everything. Let's just shout out some of the things above it. Right now, we got Sanctuary Warden at a, a pretty impressive 68.9%. Off to that, we got All Seeing Arbiter, Hostile Takeover, Titan of Industry, Rafine, Scheming Seer, Elspeth, Broker's Ascendancy, which... God, that card is, is a nightmare to play against. Uh, Maestro's Diabolist, Inspiring Overseer. I mean, that, that's it. Just look at that all-star list right there.
0: Yeah, and again, Overseer is a common.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's the only common we mentioned so far. Uh, of course, we should mention that Overseer itself does have a game and hand win rate of 62.3%, on par with uh, a lot of rares and mythics that we would call bombs in other sets. 62 percent win rate. That is that's that's pretty nice. You know, Sanctuary Warren. That's maybe on another tier. I don't think you're ever taking Duelist over that uh, or something like an All Seeing Arbiter. But geez, like th- this is up there with, with the 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 heavy hitters of the format.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: The fact that it's monocolored doesn't hurt. A lot of these are, are multicolored, so uh, occasionally you would want to take this over something that's that's close to it. So, for example, Maestro's Diabolist. Really strong card. A lot of fun to play with, uh, and really cool sacrifice synergies. But I don't know, if you have a pack with a Diabolist and an Overseer, you're probably just supposed to take the Overseer. Like, you're going to be able to cast it in most decks that you could wind up in, and you're not kind of committing to a a three-color combo all at once.
0: Yeah, also, I mean, we have the the benefit of having a tool like 17 lands to kind of look at and mull through, like, what actually matters. And when you're looking at, like, the game-in-hand win rate, the difference between, like, the Overseer and the Diabolist is 0.3%. When you take that amount into consideration, plus the fact that the Overseer is... Like, yes, technically, the diabolist has 0.3% higher win rate when it's in hand over the Overseer. But diabolist is three colors. The Overseer is one. Like, it's just easier to put in your deck.
1: Look, I'm just happy they finally printed an angel that I can just be really happy slamming no matter what time I see it. Uh, they, They had to do this eventually, right?
0: Yeah, not only that, but it's a white card that just draws you a card with no drawbacks. Like, it's
1: just pure upside... It's evasive. Oh, man. I, I I can't hate on this card. I love ones out there like, oh, it's going to warp the format. Yeah, it's going to warp the format into a format that I like. <laughs> <laughs> if we look at the commons breakdown, we've got Inspiring Overseer unsurprisingly at the top with, again, I mentioned a 62.3% game-in-hand win rate. Uh, the next behind that is Jewel Thief, a whole 2% below at straight 60%. Jewel Thief, obviously, another very pushed card, and it's nice to see that it's at least competitive with Overseer, but, you know, it's not as good. Behind that, we have some cards that you'd honestly expect to see. Rafine's Informant. I cannot seem to pass this card either. It's just such a solid turn to play. You can just fix your draw, uh, rummage away the thing you don't need, uh, or if you happen to have a little land shortage, you can go and dig for some lands. Uh, And we'll see another pattern here. We got the Gathering throng right behind it. Make this appear. I'm surprised to see this as the top blue common. Um, I would have thought it was maybe the Lackey, but... Uh, No, I guess Make Disappear has been a a solid removal spell to kind of back up the aggressive white starts. It's pretty cheap, but just four mana. It does answer anything, and it gets it out of the way for a turn, which if you're playing a white beatdown deck, that is exactly what you want. And after that, we have Civil Servant, uh, the the only multicolored card in in this kind of top section. uh, This is the last one we'll look at for now at at a 58.3% win rate. This thing on turn two is brutal. You're just praying they don't follow it up with another citizen.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are just a lot of incidental citizens in this in this format. I have found a few times where I've had a civil servant on the battlefield and I was just like, oh, wait, that other creature is a citizen, too.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah. So like, let's as far get our adjudicators is a citizen, despite being like a massive four four guard. And sometimes it's pretty funny, but I will I will tap down that one <laughs> to get in with my three three lifelinker.
0: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, like the lifelink matters a lot in this format when you can get it incidentally. And if it comes down, I mean, if you're playing like your adjudicators plus, you know, you do it on, on the turn, you cast it, you're tapping down one of their creatures that lets your servant get in, get the buff. You tap down your own adjudicators and you're off to the races. Speaking of off to the races, let's dive into some archetypes here. The first of which is blue white skies. I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I saw this writing on the wall. Blue white skies (laughs) is a deck of My, you know, personal favorite, if I can pick a deck to play in limited, it's going to be blue white skies in almost any format, Mm -hmm. even if it's not the best form deck in the format. But in this case, it probably is the strongest deck in the format. I mean, you've got crazy evasion in just about every creature that gets put in the deck in a format where evasion is really hard to deal with. Then you get the extra disruption in in blue where you have things like make disappear that you mentioned or even security bypass to kind of get your get even more evasion. You've got the card draw for, from things like Overseer as well as just normal blue card draw stuff and all the connive things you can have access to, like the Informants. And then, I mean, do you need anything more? If you needed more, you can get a turn two Giada into a turn three Overseer and just go off like to the races like that. Like, I, There's just so much this deck can do, and it's, just, it's really difficult to deal with if it gets off on the right foot at the beginning of the game.
1: Yeah, I think if they go Giada and Overseer, you're supposed to just scoop and... You know, not, not accept the brutal punishment. Uh, Fairy Vandal into Overseer is pretty solid, too. Honestly, I found one of the strengths of this deck to be the fact that you can ignore whatever your opponent is doing on the ground, as just so many of the solid cards fly. Uh, I think Echo Inspector is, is the sleeper all-star here. I was surprised to see that wasn't the, the top of the common, actually. Um, but I, I, I never cut these from any deck. It often comes down as you really want the 3-4 flyer. Uh, Instead of the two, three still fine. And it hurts a little bit. But when you have that three, four flyer, uh, it now dodges um, just a bunch of the the common removal in the format. Uh, And it can pretty much block any any flyer at that point, including uh, other copies, uh, including ones that uh, haven't connived. I guess, successfully connived, counter connived, you know what I mean. But because you can largely ignore the ground-based strategies, it kind of opens up using things like witness protection as viable removal, essentially turning it into the blue swords. Because if they had like their 4-4 beater, their security thing or whatever it was, the downside is when they can still use that 1-1 as the blocker or use a combat trick on it or uh, remove the the, uh, witness protection. But if you're dealing with flyers, then... You know, that thing is just going to be getting in for one a turn. I mean, it'll be full swinging all the time, or maybe leaving back one or two little ground things as you get in with your flyers. Uh, That makes Witness Protection into a much better card.
0: Yeah, I would also add that one of the things that this deck in particular is weak to are shield counters. Because, sure, you can stomach a few of those big beaters for like a turn or two, maybe three. But eventually... If you're not pushing enough pressure in the air, you do have to start blocking. And if those things have shield counters, setting up double blocks and stuff gets really difficult. Well, Wit Pro just kind of gets around that by slapping, you know, just turning the thing into a 1-1. Doesn't have to worry about destroying it and you're good to go.
1: Yeah, it's a really good answer to some of this deck's biggest problems. Fish are good. Uh, Fisher friends, definitely not food in this format. And the fact that they can uh, often get the buff from something like your own shield counter or a 1 1 counter from like a backup agent. Uh, backup Agent into Fish is just a really nice way to start the game. Followed up with another uh, another Angel. That's that's just game over. Uh, Rafine's Informat is the probably the best two-drop in this deck. Although I'm pretty happy to have Illuminator Virtuosos as well. These all kind of com- combine well with Metamorphosis, as this color pair has a lot of ways to connive uh, or things that care about you know getting getting flying in. Also drawing cards. Uh, the fact that Metamorphosis often acts as a pump spell that lets you draw a card. Uh, and has a little more versatility than that too plus just take all the two drops pretty much every white two drop is solid sky Cryer has even uh, surpassed my expectations if you can load it up with uh with an equipment like uh like the the, the quick knife or uh, put a counter on it with a backup agent a 2-2 flying lifelink in this format is better than it seems yeah i mean if a 2-1 that gains
0: you one i mean it does draw you a card but the the lifelink sticks around on the uh on the the skycryer like it's it's pretty reasonable and that's another way to mitigate these like ground forces that are that you're kind of just going over and don't really care about. like you're taking damage but then you've got some life linkers to kind of make up for the damage you're taking and your opponent is just getting smacked in the face every turn. It, it gets really difficult to deal with
1: Now the uh, the next archetype we've got here is green white citizens. So in this deck, the overseer isn't quite the super synergy vector piece that it is in the blue white skies deck. But it's still just a strong-rate card. I mean, that's what this card was busted for in the, in the first place, right? Uh, when your opponent has to remove this because it's like your only flyer and they're worried about getting beaten down by this in the air, Uh, And they have to remove this, and and then maybe they don't have a removal spell for your Darling of the Masses or your Civil Servant. That is a really good bind to put your opponent in. They can't just take two in the air forever. Uh, But then if you're able to build up like a beefy ground board of of Citizen Tokens and uh, getting your Darling through and that kind of thing, you want your opponent to to feel the pressure from this.
0: Yeah, next up we've got Brokers. Um, Obviously, I, I think it goes without saying that this card fits well into Brokers, but even, you know, as you're kind of crafting the way that you're expecting a broker's deck to kind of play out, like it's a perfect turn three play. It's a little awkward because I, I do wish you could curve this into Lagrella, but you can't really do that effectively. You kind of have to take a bit, like take a little bit of a mana efficiency hit to kind of chain them together. But it's it's just a phenom. I mean, for all the same reasons that we've talked about it in, in Blue White Skies and Green White Citizens, it's just going to do so much for you to get you maybe that extra card draw might mean you get your third color. It's a it's just a safe card in a deck that sometimes has some mana issues to be able to make sure you can cast it. It stabilizes the board, gains you life. It just fits all these different modes, and again, it's pushing some high uh, some early over-the-top aggression that that your broker's deck may need to kind of get you over the edge
1: uh, to beating your opponent. Something nice about this is that even the broker's deck says in like a straight three color. Uh, honestly, when we talk about Skies or Citizens... You can almost include the fact that you might be splashing a third color in there, whether it's green or otherwise. The deck that I find myself playing most often in Brokers is not a straight three color split, but it's more like a base blue-white deck, and then green is kind of the backup color, which is weird because it's weird to splash for green. That's not something we usually advise. But sometimes it's it's what you need to do uh, if you just need a few green sources for maybe your bar as adjudicators. But anyway, in the, the more traditional three-color straight-up broker's decks, even those tend to favor white in the early game just because of the strength of the early white two-drops. Uh, so then you're more likely to have a white source early if you're playing more white sources than the other sources, which means that uh, this can sometimes be the card that draws you out of a bind. Uh, maybe it, it, it's the thing that you need to keep digging to find that, that fourth land drop or that third color or hopefully not second color. But uh, I've kept worse hands. Two lands and an overseer and a few white two drops is is probably a hand that would keep. So as long as you're uh, you're doing that, this helps stabilize you. Just making sure that you're solid in the air uh, and even gaining you a little bit of life too. And last but not least, we have Obscura here. Look, just just play it. I, we're like a broken record at this point. Just put this card in your deck, cast it. You'll win the game a lot more than than you would if you didn't. It, it's almost embarrassing. This is more of just a power level card. It's not like this is some kind of really cool micro synergistic thing like Battlecry Goblin. Sure, that had power too, but in AFR, that also had some goblin and power synergy. Uh, a lot of cool tricks you could do with it. This is um, not, not exactly as deep. A card to go into. Sure, there's these little synergies here and there. Consider something like Blood Tithe Harvester, which just has a lot of good intro synergy to uh, to Blood as a mechanic. And that kind of makes you go, oh, well, what can I do with Blood? And why is this a 3-2? And, and what does that mean about vampires in the format? Just, just cast the Overseer. <laughs> maybe that's a knock against it, but I don't care. It's an angel that draws you cards. If you're in Obscura, hopefully you're in like a base blue-white deck, maybe splashing a black card, maybe some top-end girder goons or a fiend or something.
0: All right. So, I mean, we typically, th- this one did kind of just get handed to us, this draft chaff hero. Sometimes we have to struggle a little bit more to find, make a decision on it, but there are some other cards that are up there in terms of numbers and interest and, and sort of things like that. And so we did want to kind of highlight some runner ups. The first of which is corpse appraiser. This is blue, black, red for the vampire rogue three, three ETB exile up to one target creature card from a graveyard. If a card's put in exile this way, look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. Just a solid 3-mana three 3-3 three, three does have some interesting effects in terms of getting that the to that 5-mana value threshold thing. I don't really know what to call that in this format, but that you know that thing, <laughs> the thing that Maestros cares about.
1: Um, snooping Newsy big scoop.
0: Yeah, that's the one. And, and Corpse Praiser yeah. put up good numbers too. I mean, we saw the Inspiring Overseer with uh, games in hand win rate had 62.3%. Corpse Praiser is not far behind with 62.1%. It is seen a bit more frequently than the Overseer, so not taken as highly, but that probably has something to do with the fact that it is three colors. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a solid card and one that we considered, but obviously the Overseer took the cake.
1: It does kind of act like an Overseer, though, doesn't it? I think this tells us something about the format, and actually our next one, Disciplined Duelist, does as well. Uh, that's the uh, green-white-blue for the 2-1 double strike that enters the battlefield with a shield counter on it. These two are both putting up really good numbers. Would you believe me if I said they were both actually above Workshop Warchief the uh, the massive hasty thrag tusk uh, as far as games in hand win rate?
0: Yeah, I mean that is surprising to be honest. I, I I know the numbers because I've done the a bit of research for this show, but like that card seems just at face value if you just put the them next put the workshop warchief next to these cards we're talking about now. Like that one seems much better than these. It doesn't seem to have played out played out that
1: way. Yeah, uh same. It's they're, they're above Rabble Rousing and the Mysterious Limousine and Ziatora. I mean, these are, these two are both in the top 15 cards of the set. Uh, that that's not something I would have called at the beginning. But if we think about what this tells us about the set, first of all, let's assume you can cast them, right? Let's assume you have the good fixing that you're playing these on turn three. Corpus appraiser does a pretty solid impression of inspiring overseer. Right? Like it is a solid body. Rather than a 2-1 flyer, this is just a 3-3 on the ground. Uh, and this makes up for the lack of, of maybe evasion by giving you more card selection and that that kind of beef in a 3-3. And a 3-3 is a pretty solid size here on turn three. So this is, again, a creature that gives you card advantage while still adding to the board. Disciplined Duelist, it is a creature that certainly adds a lot to the board. And I guess you could say it gives you a little bit of card advantage, but more skewed towards the aggressive end of the spectrum in that you're probably going to end up getting a two-for-one off of this in order for your opponent to, to ever deal with it. It pretty much takes a two-for-one to kill a Disciplined Duelist.
0: And, and then we had one last runner-up, Psychic Pickpocket. This is four and a blue for the 3-2 Cephalid Rogue. ETB, connive, and then when it connives this way, return one up to one target, non-land permanent to its owner's hand. So a little bit of a an unsummon effect tapped on to
1: this 3-2 here who would have thought that a looter that is also a a man of war would be good yeah i
0: mean uh you had me had me uh baffled there
1: yeah this is uh i think also right at home in this format where uh, if you can get on the ground early with solid two drops and three drops and then followed up with this uh mid to late game disruption uh that's why i've I've been liking the uh, the counter spells too uh both of them honestly as ways of disrupting i'm sorry i didn't
0: quite hear you can you say that again
1: I know <laughs> uh, I, I, I know I almost regret saying it, but I, I have actually been enjoying both disdainful stroke and make this appear um, just ways of making sure your opponent can't slam their four and five mana things as effectively psychic pickpocket basically does the same thing. You just want to hope they didn't play something with a good ETB. That's our, uh, our our draft draft hero. Those that join Patreon uh, from this point onward until our next one will receive a uh, signed, inspiring overseer by the two of us, maybe with a few little modifications here and there. I don't even know what we could do to this one to make it better, though. I'm sure we'll figure something out. Mm-hmm. So let's jump into some some miscellaneous topics before we uh, before we bounce. Um, the Streets of New Capena Invitational Qualifier is coming up. It's this upcoming weekend. Actually, by the time the show is dropped, it's, it's already happened. So uh, hopefully you got some good news from us in the Discord. But I got to experience the play-in for the first time. And it sounds like you're, you're planning on doing that this weekend too, yeah?
0: Yeah, so the way that this this like new sort of event structure is set up, they're doing these play-ins right before all the qualifiers where it's it's literally the day before the qualifier. So you kind of have to make a weekend of it and hope to get in the play-in and, and basically you just have to win four games in a row, as I understand it. But it's a phantom sealed event, so I'm curious how that kind of plays with the the cost to be in the play-in, but I'm excited. I mean, it's sealed, and then the actual qualifier is also in sealed, so it's a good prep for the actual qualifier. I would say if Ben and I could kind of just aggregate our tips on this format in one sentence, open good broker's cards, <laughs> that's pretty much pretty much all you need to do.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's just that simple. I wish there was a little more depth to it, but if you open like a Sanctuary Warden and your, your opponent doesn't, <laughs> like uh, I know which deck you want. If you open three inspiring overseers, God, who would do that in sealed? Wouldn't that be wouldn't that yeah, be silly? No
0: way. I mean, to be fair though, I, I I have to admit, and this is on me, as obviously I'm outing myself right now as a bad Magic player. So if anybody had any doubts about that, here's your confirmation. But I opened both the All Seeing Arbor and the Titan of Industry in my last sealed event with the uh, re- arena open and I only got to four wins with it in best of ones. So
1: Look eh. that's kind of impressive. I'll give you that <laughs> you found a way, but look, I know you had some rough mana problems in there too. A- anyway, the, uh, the qualifier play in, i really liked it i actually played it um last weekend and i did i, I did play in i successfully played my way in it, it's uh six uh matches total that you have to win and you can uh, get one loss and then your second loss kicks you out uh, i did yeah. go six and one i had a pretty great broker's deck I, I gotta say it feels good to be the bad guy for once i had just about what you'd expect i had a giada i had an inspiring overseer lagrella jewel thief some solid two drops in sky Cryer and backup agent Two spars adjudicators, two echo inspectors, and my rare top uh, ends, wiretapping and mysterious limousine. Although I'll admit I often cut the wiretapping for uh, some other thing. I I didn't actually like it that much after the first time I played it. Anywho, uh, I wanted to mention another thing that was happening in Magic right now, Baldur's Gate spoilers. We've just been getting tons of these spoilers, and I'll admit I haven't been paying the most attention because this is a Commander Legends set, right?
0: It is, yeah. It's not it's not a normal sort of uh, standard legal set, but it will be available on arena as far as we know, and uh, will be draftable, I think. Or at least a variation of it will be draftable. It sounds like it's not going to be the exact set that you get in paper, but they're gonna like alter it slightly. Sort of a la alchemy to to be draftable mm. on arena in a best of one or in a one v one format.
1: So I guess it'll be like brawl draft because you know the yeah. idea of commander legends is that you you draft a legend and it, it's your commander and then you build a deck around it
0: right but i i think some of the cards that uh are in the set proper that might have something to do with like number of players or number of opponents or things like that have are, are getting altered that's speculation i'm not i'm not trying to say i know what's happening but uh, they have said, as far as I know, that there is there are changes between what you'll see in paper and what you'll see on arena. So I'm guessing it's stuff like that to make it more amicable to to a one v one sort of format.
1: I mean, I heard they're also going to be doing some some weird little edits to alchemy to, to make a um, a Streets of New Capenna alchemy draft type thing. Honestly, but with all these these online changes, it kind of hurts to say that I don't care, but. Up until this point, they haven't really given me a good reason to. I mean, has there been one single like alchemy thing, like an edit or a change that really made you go, oh boy, now I can't wait to do that thing.
0: I haven't paid attention to that. Yeah. because I, I really just, outside of like Explorer, Explorer is the one one constructed format that I've actually been interested in lately because Spirits yeah. is a deck I can play there. Outside of Explorer, I really just don't care very much about constructed formats. So, But now we have, yeah, they're doing a Streets of Nuka Penna alchemy draftable thing i don't know what they need to change to make it a better draft format necessarily maybe it's better balanced in terms of like brokers not being broken but i kind of doubt it uh we'll see i guess
1: watch they're gonna make overseer just say like gain three life and not draw cards
0: yeah i wouldn't be surprised if they take away the card draw on that one sanctuary warden will be just a four four flyer that doesn't (laughs) do anything else angel
1: (laughs) yeah I'm curious to hear from the listener. Um, let us know in Discord if you have been like loving anything about these alchemy changes, or I mean, that they're legal in brawl too, and that's been a little annoying. I, I don't know, just the, the fact that we could have functionally pioneer on here by now if they hadn't like messed around with all this stuff about like make, making sure you could get jumpstart on arena and now alchemy on arena and now alchemy draftable sets. I just I'd like to see the energy focused towards a bit more coherence across platforms. I still remember how, how shocked I was when I saw that my gold span Dragon no longer did, what I thought it did. I was like, what, what, what exactly is happening here? Who does this benefit? Who is asking for this, you know? It, it felt like Magic was trying a little too hard to be an eSport, and I'm very glad they've since walked that, that back, um, especially with all the organized play changes that they've made, which generally seem to be going in the right direction. But it looks like this, uh, The reliance on alchemy is just, I don't know, I think we're going to look back in five years and go, remember that? No? Yeah, me neither. Anyway, I wanted to shout out some of the cooler uh, spoilers from Baldur's Gate. In fact, one that actually has inspired me to, I dare say, build a blue-black commander deck. I cannot believe I'm saying that. Yeah, I don't have one of those. It's kind of a running joke that it's impossible for me to build a commander deck that doesn't include green. I think I might... own like two out of my 10 that that are non green decks. What are they? Markov Uh, and Markov and Bruna. Ah, right. How can I forget? And I think that's it. (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about Tasha, the witch queen, three blue black for a, uh, a planeswalker comes with four loyalty. Uh, And it has a, a, a static ability. Whenever you cast a spell, you don't own create a three, three black demon creature token her plus one is draw a card for each opponent exile up to one target instant or sorcery card from that player's graveyard and put a page counter on it so just that's just uptake the draw card and then some nonsense uh, and then the down downtake minus 3 you may cast a spell from among cards in exile with page counters on them without paying its mana cost ooh That is fun. So, I mean, you kind of want to build around this uh, casting spells you don't own sub-theme. There's a bunch of ways to do that, and blue and black are are the the best ways to do it. Uh, Covetous Urge, there's there's tons of these little effects gathered throughout history. Some specters will have things that that do this. Ganti will do this. The deck, maybe it's a little too linear, but I'm sure I'll find some ways to spice it up, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I know somebody that has a mono-black deck that is basically this like all it cares about is casting stuff and i don't know i think that was designed like it's something that the creator of the deck imposed upon the deck not that there's like overwhelming synergy or like reason to be playing other people's spells you just built a deck that like that's all you do is cast everybody else's stuff so this probably just makes it better having access to a second color
1: Mm -hmm. say what i'm gonna let you read ancient silver dragon because this is this is your kind of card Sure is.
0: Ancient Silver Dragon is 6 blue blue for an Elder Dragon at Mythic. It's an 8-8, so 8-mana 8-8 with flying. And whenever Ancient Silver Dragon deals combat damage to a player, roll a d20, draw cards equal to the result. You have no maximum hand size for the rest of the game. Yes, please. What?
1: Like, huh? I, I don't know. This is the kind of thing that gets me excited for this set roll a d20 and then draw cards equal to the result. Oh my god.
0: <laughs> yeah. You could draw
1: 20 cards. Um is this going to see like legacy and vintage like sneak in show play? Like is this a good Maybe. sneak attack target? Is this going to see vintage cube play? Like ETB like that could that could kill you if you're not careful. <laughs> like, yeah, I think I think that's th- fun.
0: Oh yeah, that'll definitely I mean in limited this will deck you easily. By the time you instantly. can cast it, it will instantly deck you. Yeah. I mean, unless you roll like a one or something. But yeah, you're going to be drawing a lot of cards off of this bad boy. The problem is, can you cast them?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I guess it is on combat damage and not attack. But, you know, it's an idiot flyer. It's going to get him. Um, Albear Cub is a fun card. It's two and a green for the most adorable little bird bear. It's a 3-3. And it has only one ability called Mama's Comet, <laughs> which is so fun. When Albert Cup attacks a player who controls eight or more lands, which at a certain point is everyone, uh, look at the top eight cards of your library. You may put a creature card from among them onto the battlefield, tapped and attacking that player. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So this doesn't care what the creature is. This could go get a, like... I don't know, this could go get a Dork, or this could slam an Ulamog, or uh, a Hoofdaddy, or anything. Like, this could even just get a Rexage to to blow up a problematic artifact or enchantment. Uh, Looking at the top 8, you're going to find something good, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was probably designed with Commander in mind, and in that format, you probably don't always find something good. I mean, 8 cards out of 99 is not exactly like a ton, but obviously you're not going to be at 99 when you're playing this. The biggest problem I have with this card is that it's an Owlbear Cub. Meaning like it's a baby owl bear, but it's bigger than normal bears. Like, why is this not a two mana two two?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Um, The fact that it is a three mana three three with functionally no text until an opponent has eight or more lands is a little rough, but uh, still a cute card. I'm I'm sure this could be put in some kind of a attacking triggers deck. I'm most excited for Legion Loyalty. Uh, Six white white for an enchantment that says creatures you control have myriad. And those that don't know, Myriad says whenever a creature with Myriad attacks for each opponent other than defending player, you may create a token that's a copy of that creature that's tapped and attacking that player or plans do they control. Exile the tokens at end of combat. So basically, when you attack one of your opponents, you make two tokens that are copies of that thing, and then it attacks uh, each of your other opponents. So this is insane with ETB effects, right? Like you just get all the ETB effects you want. Doesn't do death trigger effects as it exiles them and they're not super great for sacrificing uh, because it happens at the end of your combat phase you never get to go to your main phase again to 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 do stuff with them but there's a lot of things you can do with this kind of repetitive effect
0: yeah and it is probably i would argue it might be too cheap at eight mana uh, depending on Mm. how it's used right like this this is the type of card that can do some really ridiculous things in the right deck and is either going to do nothing mm-hmm. or kill everybody. My particular favorite card out of the bunch that we have listed here is Archivist of Agma, One and a white for yeah. a 2-2 flash halfling cleric. Whenever an opponent searches their library, you gain a life and draw a card. So, yeah, I love group hugs, and in group hugs, I love my opponents to be doing things, but, you know, hey, sometimes I want a little kickback, so uh, <laughs> this would probably be an auto-include in my Kenrith deck.
1: Oh, yeah, maybe if you have spells that, like, go get you and your opponent a land. There's a lot of group hugs cards like that.
0: There are a few of those. Plus, I mean, every in, in Commander, everybody's searching their decks all the time anyway, so...
1: Yeah, true. Although I will say, this almost feels more like a uh, an Eternal format nod. Like, this, this could potentially see Legacy or Vintage play. I don't know. This just kind of feels like the kind of effect that that might find a home in there. The fact that it's a uh, a hate bear style uh, and it has flash, it reminds me of like a containment priest or something. Um, Mm -hmm. It almost seems like it was templated. Like if this is like the same effect on a five mana, five, five or something like, yeah, that's, that's a commander staple. But um, the fact that it's a two mana two, two feels like it was priced to move for it for eternal formats. Yeah. Uh, One last kind of interesting card that I'm particularly excited for Baldur's Gate. Now I have no idea what Baldur's Gate is. Or what it means. And I almost feel bad for saying that I love this card so much. Uh, Despite having no idea what they're talking about. (laughs) I assume it's a gate around the town. Is the town called Baldur? Or is it a person named Baldur? Do you know? Uh, I'm going
0: to disappoint a bunch of people by saying I, I also don't know. I've never played the Baldur's Gate games. And I've never read the Baldur's Gate books. Or any of that kind of stuff. I'm pretty sure Baldur's Gate is the name of the town as well as the name of the gate. As well as referencing a person
1: but I'm not positive whatever it doesn't matter Uh, it's a legendary land it's a gate you can tap it to add colorless which is not what you want your gates to do or you can pay to tap it uh, add X mana of any one color where X is the number of other gates you control they made Nikthos for Nikthos'
0: gate am I right
1: yeah. Yeah. Move over Nikthos. Nikthos is, yeah. Get out of here, Balder. I don't care about you. The friendship with Balder ended. We're on, we're on the Nikthos gate plan now. Uh, this and the other one, there's another gate that like enters the battlefield untapped and, uh, lets you tap for any matter of, of uh, a gate that you control. Also really strong, just straight into the draft draft cube, you know?
0: Yeah. My, I, I love this as well. I mean, you and I both are big fans of the gate decks and yeah. Maze's end and everything. My biggest complaint about this is that now Gates, because of this set, I mean, it's a Baldur's Gate set. You know, Gates are going to be like Gates are going to be popular. And I liked (laughs) when Gates were like stupid and also still kind of good.
1: They can still be stupid and also kind of good. I'm not even entirely sure if this fixes our problem with the cube where we were saying that, like, to include Maze's end in there, we're going to have to do some kind of finagling with uh, if we just include like 10, like one of each. That's not good enough. So then at that point, we might have to uh, have some sort of caveat rule where we include none of them. And then if you draft Maze's End, you just get all 10 uh, given to you as kind of bonus, like outside the draft. But now this includes, I think the set has maybe seven cards with the gate subtype. So the question is, if we just insert all of those into it as our uh, like dual color tap lands, like fixing wise, and then also these these other gates, uh, will that be good enough? Um, I don't know. We're going to do some testing.
0: Yeah, it would be nice to make it work, but we'll have to
1: see. Mm-hmm. One last shout out. Uh, they reprinted Burnished Heart with just the cutest art. Love it. Nice little elk. I'll have to pick this up for my elk deck. Hopefully I can find one in foil. All right.
0: Well, that about does it for us this week. Thanks so much for listening. hope you're getting as excited about the Baldur's Gate stuff as we are. I mean, I think it's safe to say like, we're both fairly excited about it. I don't think either of us were excited about it until some of the spoilers started coming out, but now it seems yeah. like we, we've got some excitement around it. Um, speaking of If you are excited or you're not, or you want to drop us some questions for the mailbag episode or any of those sorts of things, check us out on Discord. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And feel free to drop us questions on Twitter as well. You can find us at Pod over there. And uh, if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash DraftChaffPod. Again, huge thanks to everybody who's continuing to help us do that. Speaking of everybody who's helping us do that, um, all of the patrons over there are enabling us to get editors and such so that we can provide more cool stuff in terms of our content. So if you're not checking us out on Spotify, I highly recommend that you do that because we do have video content directly in the Spotify app. You don't have to go to YouTube or anything like that. You can catch all of our episodes with video content as well
1: on Spotify. Well, that does it for us and we'll catch you next week. A bit more of a a somber sign off this time. Those in the U.S. probably heard about the uh, the, the shooting in Texas. Uh, and I believe it was in elementary school or um, I, th- I think it was like grades two to five. There's different names for that all over the place. But uh, just yet another mass shooting here in the United States. And just uh, a- a- as a teacher in particular, um, it just hits so close to home every time. And it reminds me of the, of the Onion article that's that's kind of evergreen at this point where it said it, it, the headline is always um, like no way to prevent this says the only nation where this regularly happens it's like w- what are you gonna do besides change something at least try changing something uh so far the changing nothing plan hasn't been working and um you'll often see these these uh kind of like fake uh responses uh, drummed up by extremists and, and things that uh just don't, don't really cover the actual issues at hand which is that um People will use guns to to kill kids, given the opportunity. Um, and sure, there's a lot of things that can go into this. We need comprehensive medical help um, and, and mental health care um, that we don't have in this country right now. But at the same time, we desperately need gun reform because my students showed up to school today talking about this and terrified. Like, what if they're next? Right. Um, and and no student, no person deserves to, to have that feeling. Um yeah what are your thoughts on all this yeah i mean it's it's it's
0: sad it's i mean i'm at at a loss for words really it's um i was telling ben before the show i realized this this morning that we've had 27 school shootings in the country this year alone and i've only Mm -hmm. heard about about three of them but still i mean yeah something needs to change and at this point like the biggest quote-unquote change i've heard is like all right, make teachers like armed teachers. Uh, God, let's no. fight guns with more guns. Uh, I don't, I don't know what to say. Uh, we well, yeah, we need help. <laughs> we need yeah. help big time.
1: Yeah, um, I, I saw some news articles today saying that uh, there would be additional police at uh, at schools across New Jersey. I saw another news article that said that uh, the town where this took place, forty uh, percent of the town's budget was already going to the police force and some just even more tragic and disgusting news was that um, police allowed the shooter to go inside. Apparently they hid for like something like over an hour. These facts are still coming out by the time this episode drops, this might all be cleared up. Um, but from right now, it sounds like the uh, heavily supplied fully armed police just kind of let this happen. And I also, that is the whole thing.
0: Like, yeah. I mean, also from like just a com- kind of the, the opposite side of that coin, right? Like, the solution or at least the, the posed solution to let's stop kids for let's, let's stop people from being murdered at an institution where they should be safe and worried about their education, not their lives. The the proposed solution is let's put different bodies in front of those bullets. I don't, I don't think that's an accurate or a a helpful Mm -hmm. way to go about solving the problem either.
1: Mm -hmm. So many of the solutions also just end up resorting to victim blaming. Um, Honestly, even the drills that, that they have students do here in the United States. I'm, I'm very curious to hear what uh, folks from outside the U.S. have to say about this, because some of this might just sound like utter nonsense to you all. <laughs> but uh, in the United States, we do have armed shooter drills where like once a month or so, uh, we'll all just pull down our shades, hide in the corner of the room and um, hope that this isn't the real one, you know. and uh, And and once again, in that we are being taught by the system that it is our responsibility to not get killed by the inevitable mass shooter. Not that um, that shouldn't happen in the first place. Not that we should uh, enact some sort of reform to make sure a gun could never get into those hands in the first place. Uh, and that that person could get the kind of mental health checkup that they need. Um, but all of that, it's, it's being told to us that, you know, it's our responsibility to not get killed as we inevitably go through the, uh, the dangerous hellscape that is elementary school.
0: Yeah. And I think before we actually sign off here, it is worth mentioning uh, mostly because I'm just, I try to be as objective as possible. This is a complex problem. You'll notice neither of us have actually offered any real solutions. It's not as simple as just saying like, here's the fix. I don't think anybody really has a quote unquote, here's the fix though. Other countries have done just fine making this not a problem. So I think there's a lot for us to learn from a government perspective and like how to handle it. But it is, it is not an easy thing to fix inside the context of the society that our country kind of operates around and in, and um, it needs to be
1: fixed. It needs to be fixed, but it's not a necessarily an easy thing to put into place. Yeah. Um, The solution is out there, but until we just, um, find somewhere to end lobbying and uh we, we probably could do a whole podcast on on this but uh i guess i'll save that for another day